What's up, everybody? This is Scorch the Fears with Abraham Gray. Abraham is a beast in Sub 2 and just in the universe. Another person, just like Keston, who I had on last week, who like is a big guy in Sub 2, and I just don't know him. So I was like, man, I need to like get him on the podcast and like talk to him, see what he's doing, see what's like happening in his life, his journey, all of that stuff, because I know he's doing awesome things. You had your business mastermind really recently. And I thought that was pretty cool. I couldn't go to it. But um, this guy is incredible. I appreciate you so much for coming on, my man. Yeah, yeah. You had Keston last week. Uh, Keston, we hang out all the time. He lives right near me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because where where do you live? I live in Atlanta. And he lives like in Atlanta. He actually lives like five minutes from my office. So we, we hang out. Nice. So you guys have some big people in Atlanta. You too, Eddie Charger. There's like right. some good people. Yeah, Eddie Charger comes here all the time. We got Alexis Morgan. We got uh, shit, ton of people. Yeah, it's just the list goes on. I love it. So real quick for the people that don't know you, like just quickly like introduce yourself, do an intro of like what you're doing in business. I know you own like tons of different businesses, what you're yeah. doing in real estate, all that good stuff. Just give a quick introduction. Yeah. So I have been doing real estate since I was 22. I'm 48 this year. So a long time. And uh, I've been doing business since I was 15. So I started my first business when I was 15. And I've really made most of my money in business, uh, but I made a shit ton of money in real estate too. So uh, I do both. I love them both. And I'm always, you know, learning more, teaching people. And I do a lot of events. I speak at a lot of people's events. I have my own events. Uh, actually, Pace is at all my events now. The ones that I do, we're kind of doing them together a little bit more now. So since, uh, since the last one in February, he's going to start coming and being, you know, part of all, all the events. So it's kind of cool. Uh, people love hearing him talk. And then, um, yeah, we, you know, I teach people everything there is to know about business, how to find them, how to buy them, how to evaluate them, how to get the money for them, how to buy them creatively with none of your own money and, you know, very profitable businesses that you do very well with. And um, it's similar to what Pace teaches in real estate is kind of what I teach with business. And uh, yeah, I actually have some businesses with Pace. I, I actually just, um, just got a business with Jamil, so I'm partners with Jamil on, on a on a business, and then you know, of course, Pace. We we have that deal, no deal, where we buy properties all over the country with people. Love it, I love it so much. So let's go way back then, because there are certain people. This is like I am curious because there are just certain people that I'm so intrigued by, like starting starting your first business when you're 15. Do you feel like you were just kind of born with that? Do you feel like that was born in you? Do you feel like your parents like were entrepreneurs? Like what I didn't even live with, I didn't so even live with my parents. I didn't even live with my parents. I, I literally um, live. My parents got divorced when I was like one or two years old, and I lived with my mom for a little while, then my dad for a little while, but didn't work out. And I really went from foster family to foster family, and went to a boarding school for a while, um, and then back to foster families, and then I ended up moving with my grandmother. But I, my parents weren't at all entrepreneurs. I just. Um, I collected sports cards my whole life. And then literally when I turned 15, I started selling them. And that's kind of how it, how it all happened. I got really good at it. I started making more and more money and I got better. And that just turned into other businesses as I got older. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it basically gave me my freedom. You know, when I had to like rely on other people for stuff, it sucked, you know, because I could only get what I could get people to give me. Once I was starting to make my own money, I could do whatever I want. Right. I mean, I love it. I mean, the financial freedom, it makes total sense. 
I mean, this question might not even relate to you. I'm not sure. Like, did you have any fears when you were going into business? Like, were you dealing with things when you, let's start with the 15 and then we'll get into real estate. But when you were 15, were you dealing with any fears of failure or was it more just small time stuff or were there any fears at all? I'm just curious. Yeah, I think everybody has fears. I mean, I think people that tell you they've never had fears is full of shit, you know? Like anytime you do something that you haven't done before, Anytime you do something that you're not great at yet, you're, you're going to be fearful because you're fearful of failing. You're fearful of losing whatever you put into it. You're fearful of people around you seeing that you failed and, you know, looking like an idiot to your friends. So there's always that fear. But, um, you know, once you get into something and you start doing it, the fear kind of goes away. Gotcha. Talk about that. What do you mean? Once you start getting into it, the fear goes away. Like, what do you what do you mean? Yeah, so, I mean, you're 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 kind of fearful when you first start doing something, but once you're doing it, um, you're like, you know what? I could do this, you know? And once you have confidence in yourself, that's when the fear goes away. So you're always like fearful right before you start because you don't know if you're going to be good at it. But once you see that you're doing it and you know, you're still alive and everything's fine, the fear just goes away. I get it. Yeah. Think about it the first time, the first time you did a podcast, you were probably a little bit nervous, a little bit fearful when you first did your first one. And now every single one, you're less fearful. And now you're probably like, oh, it's nothing. So it's the same thing. Anytime you do something in the beginning, you're fearful because you don't know if people are going to like you. You don't know if you're going to sound like an idiot. You just don't know. And you don't know True. if people are going to watch you. And that's fearful you know, because you don't want to look like an idiot. That's true. I definitely get that. I mean, definitely when I did my first podcast, it was... I feel way more comfortable now. I don't know if I was ever afraid of podcasts because I was just like... I, I've done already so many other crazy things, but mm-hmm. I definitely remember being, I feel way more comfortable with this. Yeah. This is just part of my week now. Instead exactly. of before it was like, whoa, this look at this whole new thing. How do I make this work? Right. Um, so what do you say to those people who are like fearful at the beginning where they're like, Hey, like Abraham, like I don't want to lose 20 K on a flip or I don't, what if I can't make this whole thing sailing work and I spend 10 K on marketing or whatever it might be like what do you what do you say to people who are new it's very simple it's very simple so you basically take the risk and reward of everything and you have to you know balance it out is the risk we work the possible reward what's the what's the worst thing that could happen what's the best thing that could happen can i afford the worst thing to happen um if the worst thing happens i'm going to die then maybe you don't want to do it the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to lose a certain amount of money but like you know it'll hurt you but you can still overcome it but the upside is so great that it's worth doing, um, then, then go for it. Um, you know, obviously the other thing is, you know, if you're super fearful to do it on your own, find someone that's already done whatever you're trying to do and maybe do it with them in the beginning. And then once you do it with them, you, you have that confidence that they know what they're doing. And then eventually once you start doing it with them and you get better at it, then do it yourself. Love it. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, I feel like that definitely, especially, in business is like just seeing somebody else doing and getting a mentor Mm -hmm. is so freaking key. I mean, mine was Pace, right? He was my first, I mean, my first one was Jamil. I actually joined Astro and then I, and then I got Jamil as my, or sorry, Pace as my second mentor. And they're my two main mentors to this day. I'm an Astro flipping in and, um, Oh, I love it. Awesome. So, so talk about mentors for a second. Like, who were your mentors? Did you have any mentors when you were 15? Oh, when did you think, find out about everybody mentors? has to have some sort of mentors? You know, you might not think of them as mentors, but they're definitely mentors. I mean, a mentor is someone that that guides you in life, that helps you, that teaches you stuff that, you know, 
fast forwards you to, you know, getting better faster without having to learn it for yourself. Everybody has those types of people. So um, in the beginning, you know, my mentors were, you know, just good friends that I had that were older than me. You know, I had friends that were 20 years older than me that's been through stuff. And, you know, I had rough, a rough childhood, a rough life. So they would, you know, take me to the ice cream store, or take me to the park and we would talk and, you know, they, they gave me wisdom at that age. I didn't know a lot of stuff and that's, that's how I learned. So those were my mentors, you know, and then, you know, getting into like paid mentors, right? Cause there's paid mentors or non-paid mentors. When you get the paid mentors, um, I bought some different programs in my teenage years. You know, I bought a Carlton Sheets program, which is like, he was like the creative finance real estate guy back, you know, back in the uh, probably eighties and nineties. Hmm. I started with him and I learned from him and I bought, you know, some no money down properties back, back in, in the nineties after I, I bought his program. And then, uh, you know, I've been doing sub twos and owner finance stuff since you know probably like really really early 2000s and um a lot of it i learned i learned from him and then you know i, I did like one or two deals every couple of years and then you know um i, I continued that up until I, I bought sub two and when i joined paces now i'm doing like two or three sub two deals a week <laughs> you know i was right. doing like that many every year or two so um yeah i didn't know that it was a real thing that people did it that much until I got into Pace's program and now I see like, oh, it's a normal thing. So now, you know, he got me like aggressive to do his, you know, a lot more. Gotcha. So how, what would you say, like, because I, I feel like at least for me, I never had it where I had mentors growing up that like kind of naturally happened, right? Mm -hmm. Like definitely as I was growing up. But then when I wanted to get into real estate, I mean, for me, I don't know, like, like I just immediately jumped in. I was broke and I was just like, all right, screw it. I'm going to spend 8K on Astro, got one deal, immediately put that back into sub two. Best decision I've ever made in real estate oh, yeah. by far. But what do you, what do you say to people? Do you say, Hey, just buy one of their programs or like what, what advice do you give to people yeah. when they're like starting off? Like, should yeah, get I mean, a mentor? You, de you, de you definitely should. Like if you don't have the money to do it, then, you know, maybe you learn from other people, go to, go to local events, you know, join every uh, Facebook group for whatever, if it's real estate, you know, join every or a local real estate Facebook group and, and learn that way and go to meetups and then do a deal. And as you, as you do a deal, then it reinvested into a program. So, you know, back after Carlton Sheets, the next program I bought was a Tony Robbins program. I think, you know, mindset's the most important thing. So if, um, if your mindset's shitty, then it doesn't even matter what, what program you buy, cause you're not going to have the confidence to do it. So yeah, I, I took some Tony Robbins stuff. I got, you know, really confident in myself. I believed myself more and all that stuff. And yeah, fast forward to, you know, 2020. Yeah. I, I bought, you know, a paces program and I knew like, I thought I knew almost as much as you could possibly know in real estate. And then, you know, I buy his program, like, Holy shit, you know, there's so much more to learn, like literally crazy <laughs> amount more I learned. And I learned more every single, every single week. And, um, you know, I got Jamil's program. Have a bunch of other people's programs but yeah you always learn something and no matter what you learn like everything you learn you know is worth five thousand ten thousand and every single deal you do so like i've literally done hundreds of deals since i bought pace's program implementing a lot of his stuff jamil same thing so um it's if you're a, an action taker and you're going to do stuff you literally have to do one deal and you make all your money back and then you're going to do so many more because of it so it's like infinite return um so i, I would definitely buy but here's the thing there's a lot of shitty programs out there there's a lot of programs that cost a lot of money that aren't worth it. So you got to do your research and make sure you buy the best programs, you know, check reviews, you know, maybe uh, talk to different people in the free Facebook groups, talk to some of your friends, see what they like, see what they think is worth it, see what they think is, is overpriced. 
And, you know, don't just buy something without doing your research because then you could be throwing away money. But if you buy the right ones, you're going to get your money back 100 times over. So let's talk about your journey a little bit because I'm curious. So you start selling sports cards at 15. Yeah. How does that spur your journey into entrepreneurship? Where do you go? Like, how do yeah. you start? Does it start getting into real estate? Does it get into other businesses? Like, how does, what's your journey, man? Like, where does it start from like that 15 year old kid to um, Abraham Gray today? So I was in baseball cards, you know, I, I basically when I was 15, I started, you know, toward the end of when I was 15, right before I was 16, I was making about a thousand dollars a week. This is back like 1989, 1990. And um, I'm going to get an inflation calculator out real quick. Yeah, it's a lot, it was a lot more than what a thousand bucks is today. But then when I was, you know, 16, I started making a couple thousand dollars a week, you know, 17, a few thousand dollars, so, you know, three, 4,000 a week, 18, way more, 19, a shitload. And I was, I was living with my grandmother at the time because I moved after all these foster families, I moved in with my grandmother and that's how I ended up in Atlanta. That's where she lived. I was in different states before that. But um, basically um, I, I didn't have any bills. You know, I, I, I bought a car. And all I had was, you know, insurance and gas. I didn't, you know, I lived with my grandmother, so I didn't have any rent. So I saved all my money or I mainly reinvested my money into more product. And uh, I got really good. I knew what was worth buying. I knew how to negotiate. I knew how to, you know, uh, do all that stuff. So I was just compounding my, the money I was making. And I was able to save a million dollars cash in my bank account when I was 19. So by the time yeah. I was 19, I had a million dollars saved. Um, and then from, from there, basically what happened was, in 1997, uh, when I was in my early 20s, like 21, 22, uh, Beanie Babies became really popular. And I always thought I was going to do baseball cards my whole life, honestly. That's what I thought. You know, it was easy. It was fun. Wait, hold on, hold on. I got to interrupt you for a second. You did. You made a million dollars just flipping baseball cards for four years from 15 to 19? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. wild. I just want you guys to know that's uh, that's pretty sick. Especially, And this is pre-internet, too. So like, no, I no, there like, was internet. I actually did have – so there were, what, back in 1990 – There was early internet. It was early internet. I actually sold a lot of cards um, on Prodigy. That was the big internet, Prodigy. And there were there were actually boards for people buying and selling stuff. Uh, so baseball cards was there. There was also like other other stuff on the internet. It's crazy. But there was internet back in 1990. But, um, Interesting. Okay. It, it, it was dial-on. It was slow as fuck, but it was there. <laughs> so, um, so I actually, that was one of the ways I was able to make a lot of money. I was like one of the first ones that really hit the internet hard. Did you and, ever... Um, Ever have a deal going through, but then somebody, then grandma starts calling on the phones or something like that, and then got cut <laughs> off. I'm just curious. I, I had that with video games because yeah. I was like, I was like very. I, I, was I would like let her know, like, come on it, but we didn't get that many calls. But that would suck. Yeah, that did suck. I did get cut off. I mean, it wasn't as good as, as the internet is now. Like, it's crazy. But um, yeah, so what I would do is I would go and basically buy Atlanta Braves cards, you know, the Falcons, the Hawks, all, all the local, the teams that people pay premiums for in Atlanta were worthless everywhere else. So I would just buy all the premium stuff and get it, you know, and I would trade my Dodger stuff and my, you know, Raiders and my whatever, if I was trading to LA or, if I, you know, my uh, Minnesota, I would trade them on my twins player, my Kirby Puckets and, you know, Kevin Garnett and all that stuff. And basically it was worth five times more in those cities than it was in Atlanta. And then the Atlanta stuff was worth five. So we were able to get, you know, make, I was able to make so much money just by trading stuff that was worth more in Atlanta and worth more in other places and get like, mm -hmm. a really good value. That's, that's how I made a lot of uh, the money. And then I just knew how to buy stuff at a really good price. I was able to look through collections and, you know, thousands of cars and in like five, 10 minutes, I could give someone a price for the whole thing, no matter how much money it was. I, I was just 
I knew what stuff was worth. So, but yeah, that was back in the internet back in the, in the early nineties. And then, but in, uh, in like 1997, uh, Beanie Babies became really, really popular. And uh, I was at these baseball card shows and all of a sudden these women, these middle-aged women would set up with uh, baseball, with uh, Beanie Babies. And I was like, what in the world are these people doing? I was making fun of them for the first few weeks I saw them there. And then eventually I saw that their, their tables were lined up with people. They had more people than us at selling baseball cards at these baseball card shows. So, you know, I got really curious and I started walking over there talking to these ladies. I'm like, what, what are these things? Why are people buying them? All this, all this stuff. And they kind of explained it to me and I saw like how much they were doing. I asked them how they got it, what it cost. And before you knew it, I was just going in and buying way more Beanie Babies than them and then taking them to baseball cards and selling them. And for like 1997, 1998, I, I started doing Beanie Babies and baseball cards. And then eventually you said, fuck baseball cards, even though I was making so much on them at this point, I was making so much more on Beanie Babies. And, um, I just got like full time in the Beanie Babies for uh, for probably like five years, and uh, I made my first million dollars in baseball cards. I made my first ten million dollars in Beanie Babies. So I made like ten million in Beanie Babies in uh, in like a six seven year period. Wait, can you quickly talk about like like what was this right? Like what what was the like how did you do that? Like it's like you make it sound so easy. Was it literally you found a Beanie Baby at a garage sale or like no. and then sell it online or like what would it no. be? So, well, so how old are you? I'm 28. So you don't really know Beanie Babies that, that I much. We had Beanie Babies. I just I was so young that I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I heard that there was like a financial thing happening. Crazy Beanie Babies. 1997, 1998, 1999, even 2000. Those four years, people would kill people for Beanie Babies. It, it was like the craziest thing. It made no sense. This okay. guy Ty Warner that came up with it, he could print as he could make as many as he wanted, and it was like printing like gold. So Beanie Babies from the cost $2.50 from Ty. He would sell them to these stores and the stores would put them out for like five or six bucks. They'd double their money or a little bit more. However, he only sold them to like mom and pop stores. So like Hallmark stores, gift stores, some flower stores, like really small stores. No big stores had him. You couldn't go to like a Walmart or, or Target or grocery store or drugstore. None of those places would have it. He wouldn't sell them. He wanted it to be like super, super like, um, you know, limited. So but he'd come out with new ones all the time and retire the old ones. And that, and they became valuable because they retired. You can't get them anymore. So Beanie Babies uh, in 1997, the cheapest Beanie Baby that, that existed was like $10. Like if you, eBay was around, right? eBay was really popular. And you could put any Beanie Baby on, on, on eBay and you'd get $10 up to, you know, hundreds of dollars if it was something that was really rare. But the most common ones that you'd find in stores were worth 10 to 25 bucks. So I would go around every single store that had that sold Beanie Babies and buy every single one that they would let me buy. They had limits on them, but I had ways around it. And um, I, I, you know, I paid full price, six bucks or five bucks. And then I'd take them to the shows, sell them for you know, 10, 12 bucks, 15 bucks. The good ones I'd get a lot more for. And it was just so easy because it was like a commodity and it was worth what it was wow. worth because eBay said that's what it was worth. And if you put it on there, it'll sell it. And I got really good. So I made a list of every single store in my, in, in Atlanta that sold Beanie Babies, and I would call every single one every day because they get a shipment once a month. Did you get your shipment? Did you get your shipment? And I paid people to do it. And um, as soon as someone said they got their shipment in, I would be the first one there. And uh, if there were lines, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd bring, I'd go in the line, and a lot of a lot of stores only let you get like three or five or whatever. I would just bring like twenty friends with me, and everyone would buy five. And um, you know, I, I was able to buy a quantity. And then what happened was I got really close with a lot of the store owners, a lot of the managers and workers. I'm like, look, you're selling these for five, six bucks. Why don't you like call me 
and I'll give you seven bucks or eight bucks and I'll just buy everyone you have. And then you could buy them for retail on your own store if it was a manager and you can sell them all to me. And, you know, you're going to make a lot more money that way. And, and anyhow, eventually I was able to work deals with different people, different owners, different stores, and um, just get big quantities of them. And that's where the money is in big quantities. So I was buying hundreds at a time and thousands at a time. And eventually back like in like 1998, 99, I got like really close with a lot of owners and managers that had a lot of stores. And I was just buying thousands, tens of thousands of these at a time off people. And um, I was able to, to sell them by the truckload too. So the reason why um, Beanie Babies, um, everybody wanted Beanie Babies, like Walmarts and, and Targets and drugstores and grocery stores was because everybody was looking for Beanie Babies. So if they can get Beanie Babies in their store, people will come shop in their stores and buy other stuff. Hmm. So I had like drugstores and grocery stores and everybody else that wanted to buy them, but they couldn't get them. And especially in quantities. So I was able to get them in quantity because I, I hustled to you know deal with everybody. And they would actually pay me almost the same price they'd sell it for. They, they would pay me, you know, whatever it is that um, I, I needed for it. This is not really 1997, 98, because stuff was crazy. But 99, 2000, they, the prices came down some. But they would pay me basically what they would sell them for and maybe a dollar less and um, would buy thousands, tens of thousands at a time, put them in their store. They could advertise it. People would come in their store and get it. And they can't get it direct from Thai. And um, that really boosted those those store sales. So crazy. That's, that's, it went from being like super limited to the crazy high prices, not as limited, but like quantity was still hard to get. Um, and I was able to get quantity at a good price and then uh, eventually just sell to all the stores that couldn't get them that were big stores. And that that's how you know, I made a lot of money. I, I love it. So I, I was just curious because I didn't know I didn't know any of that about Beanie Babies. So it's cool to hear. Mm -hmm. um, but so keep going with your story. So what? So then. So Beanie, Beanie Babies. So Beanie Babies. By the way, a fun fact. So I have three kids. And of course, I have a, my wife. I met. I met in 1997. Um, the way I met my wife was I was going to a store to buy Beanie Babies, and she worked at one of these stores that would actually sell me Beanie Babies um, through the mm -hmm. back door, and I'd pay her, you know, extra. And uh, so we started going out and then, you know, eventually we got married and we have three kids. My oldest kid is named Ty because of Ty Beanie Babies. So, mm -hmm. you know, Beanie Babies were Ty Beanie Babies. So we named, I named him Ty because that's why I met my wife. That's how, you know, he came about. So uh, I actually named all my kids after different businesses I have. But um, since it. we were talking about Beanie Babies, I was telling you my oldest kid is Ty for, because um, they're called Ty Beanie Babies. But Beanie Babies um, lasted a good six years, seven years, and they kind of died out. And um, as, Can we as talk about then, that for a second, sorry, this is something that's interesting to me that I feel like is because you've been in the game so long. I've been in business at three years. I started in the, at the beginning of the pandemic in real estate, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm curious about is it sounds like you know when you should put a business to pasture too, right? Like eventually, like what, when do you do that? Like how, because I think people get emotionally attached to their businesses mm -hmm. a little bit of like, this is how I made so much money. Like, why isn't it working anymore? What do I do now? Right. And so like, how does one pivot when like the market's changing, especially the real estate or with business in general, when do you take a business out to pasture and like, how do you make those types of decisions? So you gotta have a lot of good common sense and you, you can't fight what's happening. So, um, you know, you see trends, you see that you're doing well, you know, anyone that's a good business person has like, you know, accounting and, and P&Ls, profit and loss statements. You look at it and you see, look, my sales are going up. It's a crazy good business. It's steady. You know, I need to do more marketing. It's going down. Maybe the business is 
not doing as well. And you look at these trends from month to month, year to year, and you know, you know, you, you should be able to tell that the business is going the right way or wrong way. As soon as you start seeing it dipping, then you got to start making plans of, okay, how do I either sell it before it's worthless or how do I find something else? So when it goes down and not put too much more money into it. And, you know, again, it's just, you gotta be smart um, and have good, good, uh, you know, just good tendencies and, and good instincts, but you gotta also look at this stuff and to be able to tell. Um, but eventually, yeah, Beanie Babies went to, uh, oh, so during this time of Beanie Babies, like during this time really of baseball cards, the transition when I was still doing baseball cards, um, I was making all this money and I had, like I said, a million dollars in my bank account by 19, my early 20s, a lot more. And um, I had another friend, right? You could call him a mentor, I guess. Um, he was like 20 years older than me. And he's like, look, um, I have, you know, a bunch of real estate. I do really well. It's passive. Um, he had a lot of rentals. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about selling a couple. Yeah, I could give you a deal if you want to buy some. I was like, all right, show me how you do it. So he sold me a couple, a couple properties and I rented and I rented them out and did pretty well with them. And uh, I kind of got addicted to it because, you know, you have that three, four $500 cash flow every single month, the properties go up in value. Um, and so I started buying more and then eventually um, the way I was buying them all was just putting like down, you know, 20% at the time and uh, getting a loan for the rest. And then eventually I got into like buying some stuff sub two. I got into some owner finance deals and I was like, holy crap. So I, I, during this time I was doing business, I was always passively doing some real estate. And um, I was, so that's kind of how it was. So when I got into Beanie Babies, um, I basically had uh, a lot of property as well, a lot of rentals. And the hmm. first two or three I had, I managed myself and I was like, fuck this, I don't like it. And then I just hired a property manager that I still have to this day that manages, a, you know, 200 some properties for me right now. Uh, nice. But so that's kind of how, how real estate transitioned. Plus, um, they were telling me about how I could, you know, I was showing on how much taxes I was paying every year. And uh, he's like, look, you could get a good tax write-off, you get good, you know, and if you want to build your wealth long-term, if you own all these properties in 20, 30 years, they're going to be paid off and you're going to have millions and millions of dollars worth of properties. And actually, I still own today properties that I bought in 1998, 1999, 2000. I still have properties that I own from those from those years. And the ones that I got loans on are mostly paid off. Like um, I'm 20-something years in to the amortization right. of 30 years. So like I have like five, six years left on a lot of properties. But, you know, then I started making like stupid money um, later on in life. And I was just paying cash for properties. So I have like you know, hundred and some properties that I, I pay cash for. So I don't even have loans on them. And then those, those Okay. Are, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the stupid money for a second. What, what is stupid money and how did that happen? So, so again, having a good network, we didn't talk about this, but having a good network of people around you is really important. So when I was in business and when I was in baseball cars and Beanie Babies, I started dealing with a lot of different people and a lot of different people thought the same way as me. They're like, Oh, look, let's find these really hot businesses. Let's um, get into Beanie Babies. Let's get into the next hot thing. And there was all these different hot things that were, you know, um, you know, Power Rangers and Pogs and different video games that were really hot that we would do. Like, you know, as they got hot, but they lasted, you know, maybe like a Christmas season or, or six months or a year. And we kept getting into all these different things. And uh, what we'd do is I would buy and sell Beanie Babies to different people or baseball cards. And they would tell me what they're doing good with. I would tell them what I'm doing good with. And we would share information. So, like, a lot of my these people were in different states. And um, they're like, look, I'm killing it in this. And I would tell them I'm killing it in this. And then we would help each other. So I got into a lot of things because of other people that were in my network. 
and they made a lot of money off me by me telling them what I'm doing really good at. So there's different different things that we uh, we, we shared. Um, but one of the particular things, so I, I, I've always made a lot of money, um, you know, really for my age, but definitely in my 20s, my 30s, I was making a lot. And, you know, I made my first 10 million in Beanie Babies and I actually had that saved in my bank account. So it wasn't like I made 10 million, I, like I really had 10 million. Um, and then um, from there, one of the people that I was doing a lot of business with in Beanie Babies um, in New Jersey uh, was like, look, I am getting into, I just started doing this gold stuff, like jewelry. Um, I knew nothing about jewelry, by the way. I knew nothing. And he's like, man, you got to get into it. Like, like gold just went from like 300 an ounce to like 700 an ounce, like in the last you know short period of time. And you're able to buy this stuff and just make crazy money. And I'm still making a lot of money on, at this point, it's not Beanie Babies anymore. It's something called Webkins. It's another stuffed animal that was like crazy hot. There's two animal, stuffed animals that were crazy hot. Beanie Babies back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then Webkins in like the mid 2000s. So like Webkins became really popular in like 2006, seven, eight, nine. Gotcha. And that's when I was doing Webkins. And this guy came to me. He's like, "Look, um, you got to get into, into into gold." And this is like 2006, 2007. And um, I was like, "I don't know anything about it." He's like, "Oh, just trust me." And I'm like, "Man, I'm making too much money on Webkins because I was making crazy money on Webkins, just like Beanie Babies." And um, eventually. Webkin started slowing down. He was making a lot more money in gold. He kept bugging me. I was like, all right. So I flew up to, uh, to him in New Jersey and I watched him set up and how he was buying this gold. And I was like, holy shit. Like people were just selling him gold, like literally um, at 25 to 35% of what it was worth. So like he'd buy like $1,000 worth of gold for like $300. I'm like, holy shit. And he could just sell it the next day. So it, it was just easy the way he did it. So I was like, fuck, I got to learn how to do this. So I hung out with him for a week. I learned it from him. And then I came back and started opening up uh, gold stores all over the place. I was actually the first one in the country that ever opened the We Buy Gold store. I was the first one, like 2007. Wow, that's 2000, crazy. 2007. So there was like a cash for gold where you mail, you mail your gold in. I think they started like maybe 2006 or something, maybe even before that. And then there's, of course, there's jewelry stores and pawn shops and all that stuff that bought gold. But there was nobody in the country in 2006 that had a store that all they did was buy gold, nothing else. They didn't sell anything. They didn't do anything. They just had a We Buy Gold sign. And so I, I started that and I, I opened up two stores and they just made like $25,000, dollars a month in profit each. And I was like, holy shit. I opened up five stores and I opened up 12. And before you knew it, I had 300 stores throughout the country. And that was the, the business that I made like fuck you money. Like that was the business that like um, was crazy. Um, so I had, I had some partners and stuff because that's how we were able to grow all over the country. But um, we made over a hundred million dollars in profit in like, you know, a short period of time Ooh. with, with uh, so I had so much money and I didn't know what to do with it. Like I literally had like every single month, I, I had another thousand, two thousand, I mean, another million, two million dollars in my bank account, like extra every month. I was like, fuck, I and I was so busy with gold. Um, and, and I got into jewelry, I got into all kinds of other, other stuff that was, you know, in that industry, uh, like coins and, you know, whatever. But, um, so at this point, the market crashed, the, the, the real estate market crashed, right? 2007, 8, 9, 10, remember went to shit. So I had another friend, the one that taught me about real estate in the beginning, who mainly only really does real estate, a little bit of business. He's like, look, the market just dropped. Like homes that were selling for 200,000 are selling for 25,000 right now. It makes no fucking sense. And nobody could buy them. Nobody has any, you know, you can't get a loan and you have to pay cash. 
He's like, why don't you give me like a few million bucks, bucks and I'll just start buying every house at, at, at the auction. And he's like, dude, he's like, it doesn't make any sense. They're going for like 10, 15% of what they went for the year before, two years before. He's like, I've been, this guy is 20 years older than me. And he's like, I've been in the real estate business for 40 some years. This has never happened. And it does happen every 10 years in some sort of cycle, but like not this low. And he's like, you know what? The rents are basically the same as what they've been before. You just can't sell the properties, right? There's no buyers for properties because you can't get loans, but you can rent them. Everybody needs a house to rent. So I just bought hundreds of homes with this guy. I gave wow. him the money. I gave, it was all my money. I basically lent him. We were 50, 50 partners. I lent him um, half the money. So let's say I gave him 3 million bucks. I'm like, all right, you owe me interest on a million and a half, a million and a half is mine. We're going to buy the properties together. You're going to be the one in charge of buying them, managing them, everything. And uh, we'll just own them together. And I didn't have time to do it. So I just gave him. So back in like 2000, like 10, 11, 12, I bought like hundreds of properties. And um, wow. for 10, 10 15% on, on, on the dollar. Over, over like the next like four or five years, I sold a lot of them for like double what I paid or whatever. Now there were 10 times what I paid and I still have a bunch of them luckily. But um, so that, that I just, and I just kept giving them more money and we just kept buying stuff. And then every single year it went up a little bit, we'd sell some, and, but we made a ton of money because we were renting them all for, you know, for like crazy money. Like literally we would pay like 30,000 for a house and we were getting a thousand, you know, a month rent. So like in 30 months, yeah. we had the house for free, you know? Right. Um, and, and now those houses are worth 300,000 that we paid 30,000 for. So it's, right. it's crazy. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of like the journey. And, um, and then in this gold, so you're making it sound pretty dang easy. Let me just say it was, right it was now, back base, it was like, back I love it. Yeah. If you were in, if you no, were just the, the whole journey, like the beanie babies, the, we buy gold, like the, yeah. like the real estate, got, what were the issues you were dealing with when, when this was happening? Like it made it sound super smooth, super easy, but oh, there I must've mean, been some yeah. times when like, things blew up as well right yeah so I, i'm only telling you about the successful things i've done so i've done 10 times more stuff than i'm telling you and i would say like 80 percent of what i've done failed like right. literally failed i lost all my money on however this is the thing i i will try 10 things and the two things that do unbelievable i make all the money right i'll make millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars even 100 million dollars the things that don't do good i cut my losses at like 10 000, 50 000, you know so I could lose fifty thousand dollars eight times. So I'm down four hundred thousand, but I make you know ten million dollars one time. So you know, or or you know, between two things, I'll make ten million. So maybe I'll make ten million and I'll lose fifty thousand. Yeah, you know, whatever it is, that's a that's a pretty good trade off or a couple hundred thousand. So um, it's basically knowing when to hold it and knowing when to get rid of it, right? So talk about that. Well, how do you know? So you try stuff, and I still do this to to today. I, I bought like tons of shopping centers. So I own a lot of shopping centers in Atlanta that are retail and I have a lot of businesses in them and I bought them just because I don't want to have to keep getting leases and trying stuff and it doesn't work. So I have like this whole strategy of how I start all these like really hot niche businesses that don't really exist that make crazy amounts of money really fast. Like some of these behind me, bury the hatchet, um, bury the hatchet, ax throwing. I have 16 locations. I'm about to have 17 locations next week. Um, that's a business that, um, I built out for like 250,000 a location and they're, my good locations are making over a hundred, 150,000 a year in profit. So like I, I get my, I get a payback in like, you know, a year to two years on a lot of these. Um, and when I first started opening Bear the Hatches, I was spending a hundred thousand building them out, but they were making so much. I started making them nicer, bigger. So, um, then I have, you know, Putt Nation 
over here. That's a like a indoor indoor putt putt place that has like a full kitchen and bar. I do I do good with. So have, how are you able to do so much stuff at once? Is it that you have, do you have COOs in just all of these? Like do you yeah. just have managers right off the hop or yeah. like, how does that? I, I own, I own none of these businesses by myself. Um, the ones we're talking about, I, I have some businesses I own by myself, but like 95% of my businesses, I have partners. Sometimes I have one partner. A lot of them I have two or three partners and we all do different stuff. So my role in every company is to uh, find, find the hot thing, uh, research it to negotiate pricing on if I'm buying somebody else's business, um, you know, structure them. It, same with real estate. Like I'm the one that underwrites everything. I'm the one that um, people send all the deals to me. I'm, I'm the face. Like everybody knows me. Nobody knows my partners. Just like K Pace and Cody, everybody knows who Pace is. Not many people know who Cody is, but, right. but Pace and Cody's do half, do half and half. Like without, without Cody, Pace would never be able to do most of the real estate stuff he does because you know, you need that other person. So same with me. I couldn't do any of these businesses without my partner. It's, it's um, they would fall apart. Um, so I'm the one that, that, that does all the front end stuff and I'm talking, negotiating. I'm like, uh, you know, very outgoing with people. And then once I buy these businesses or buy these properties, I hand them off to my other partner and he's the one that does the rehab and then sells it and does the, the, the bookkeeping and the accounting or with the businesses, you know, I have a partner that met that does all the operations and, um, a, a lot of times, you know, they're not really in the in the stores working themselves, but they're in charge of all the, the managers. And I have district managers, I have regional managers, I have you know location managers, um, and, and all the stuff for every every location I have. Um, sipping plant I have here is a um, arts and craft studio, so I have some of those. Um, this deal deal maker weekend here. That's the events that I do um, now, like a few times a year, where I teach people how to buy these businesses. Everything I'm doing that I'm telling you about. I teach people how to do this. And there are 200 people that come to an event. I sell out every single time. This is the one that Pace is now at with me. So Pace mm -hmm. speaks at these events um, a lot as well. And we just teach people how to be creative, how to structure deals. And uh, Carl Allen is my partner in this as well. And he's been in the buying business game longer than anyone. I've actually bought his program. I learned a lot from him. And then, again, we became partners. Um, because, you know, we bring each other value and, you know, there's different things that we help each other with. But um, I have, you know, Launchpad is my real estate company. Um, you know, I have Team Octopus has a whole bunch of gyms. I have this content lab over here. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about partnerships. Because I have, I have hundreds of businesses all over my wall. I no, literally have a wall full of businesses. I believe you. So let's talk about partnerships real quick. Cause obviously to be able to have hundreds of businesses, you have to have partners in every single one. Yeah. What do you look for in a partner? What, how do you like, how, when you're like thinking like, okay, this would be cool to do. Like, what do you do? Or like you see a business you would buy, like, what do you do first in terms of like finding someone who would manage it or finding partners right. who would be able to make it work? Yeah. So I find a partner that's good at the things I'm not good at, or at least enjoys the things I don't enjoy. So um, I only do what I enjoy. You know, I, I like I I wake up every morning or I go to bed every night. I can't wait wait to wake up because I know next day I'm going to do more deals. I'm going to have fun. Like, this is fun. It's not work, right? So um, if I had to do the integrator stuff, I would never want to wake up. I'd be like, fuck this. I'm staying in. But I find a partner that is good at or want or enjoys the stuff I don't enjoy. So all my partners are integrators. You know, they're operation people. Um, none of them are creative or, you know, uh, visionaries, I'm the visionary, I'm the creative guy. So you got to find, you know, if you're an integrator, you got to find your visionary. If you're a visionary, you got to find your integrator. And um, you just got to find 
the people to work with that are good at the things you're not good at or get or enjoy them. So that's what I do. So first off, I find um, what I need, right? I don't need someone to do what I'm doing because I'm, I'm doing it. I enjoy it. I want to do it. I don't want anyone else to do it. Um, sometimes it's fun having a little bit of help, but I still want to be the one that, you know, mainly does it. Um, and then I look for someone that's really trustworthy. That's probably super important. So I don't just partner with people I don't really know. Uh, most of my partners I've known for a long time. And like once I have one business with someone and it does good, I try to get them involved in all my other businesses. Now, since I've been doing these masterminds, I started doing them in 2020. Um, I have a lot of partners that have came to these masterminds that learned, you know, learned this stuff from me and we became friends and I partner with a lot of them. So I, I'm partners with a lot of people that came and a lot of people in sub two that, you know, have come to these events and I'm partners with, with a lot of people in sub two and different businesses now that have come to the events over the years and just other people. But I find them, I find like-minded people that have the same, you know, the same type of goals the same visions and people that I get along with and that can click together with and that are good at something I'm not good at. That, that's pretty much, you know, the most important stuff. Obviously you can, you can gotcha. get more into it, but if you need the, the most important stuff, that's it. And then what do you do? What you said, some of them you own by yourself. What do you do for those ones? Do you just hire a COO or how does that work? Um, so the ones I own by myself, I spend the most time on because there's not other people that can do it. But like the ones I own by myself are like, I have, I, I loan a lot of money out. So like I have, um, I do, I probably have like $10 million out right now in loans to people that mm -hmm. are doing fix and flips. Um, I do a lot of transactional lending if people need like um, to double close on properties. Um, I do a lot of that. So I, I kind of, those, that's kind of like what I do myself right now. And um, I'm the one that's actually wiring all the money and doing all that stuff. So mo most of my day is managing like the loans and, and, and underwriting new deals. So I'm getting deals all the time. And uh, that's what I do all day. I just underwrite them. I, I say, okay, I want to buy it or I don't want to buy it. And then I'm going after new businesses and trying to buy uh, businesses. I have a few businesses I'm in the process of buying right now too. And that's what I do. So it's, it's um, you know, but like most of my businesses now I have partners, but like it's the, the loaning, the loaning business is pretty much the only thing I do by myself now. And there's, um, yeah, even even the other so like this this deal maker weekend, I used to do this by myself. In 2020, 21, 22, I was the only one that did this. It was just me. And I, I hired a few people. Like I have people in my office that are assistants. I have people that are different, you know, different, you know, they're called different things, but they do, you know, the stuff that we need. So um, if I don't have a partner, I have some really high level people that are really smart that, that can do this, these types of things. But now Deal Maker Weekend is actually uh, I'm partners with Carl and, uh, and Pace. So like I have partners even in that now, but a lot of these ones that I didn't have partners with, I'm getting partners on just to make it easier or funner. Like when I was doing these events by myself, it was fun, but I was like the one speaking the whole time, doing everything. Now with partners, I, I can speak, you know, half the time or less and I have more fun. I get to listen to them. I learn stuff. Um, and we just, you know, so it's just more fun. Gotcha. Cool. Cause yeah, it's interesting. Cause it's like, I've heard, this is just like, because this is like my personal dilemma that I've been going back and forth is like finding an integrator for my business versus hiring a COO is like, why was why I'm asking you about it. But it seems like you're definitely pro partnership versus just hiring a COO to manage it. It seems like much better of a option for you. It's I'm very, like I'm very pro partners, but I, what I'll tell you this, half the people out there won't work well with partners. So half the people shouldn't get partners. Half the people mm -hmm. should definitely get partners. There's not really a wrong or right. It's your personality. Some people that want to be in charge of everything, control everything, and want everything to be their way, 
they, they shouldn't, they probably shouldn't have partners. Um, I am very, very, I give into just about everything. So this is a very important key to my life or anyone's life if they, if they're smart. Um, if you are dealing with your partner, you're dealing with your wife, you're dealing with whoever the fuck you're dealing with, it doesn't matter who it is in the world. Um, everybody wants to feel like they won, you know? So I give in to everybody and I let them feel like they won. And like, for instance, with my partners um, or even with my wife, she'll tell me like 10 things, you know, that she wants and I'll tell her 10 things that I want. And ultimately I'll probably do, I'll probably give in eight, eight, eight out of 10 times and I'll do what they want. But because eight out of 10 times or sometimes even nine out of 10 times, that thing that I give into is not that important. Like it's, it's minorly, you know, very minorly, like, you know, I want it my way, you know, like it's just, it's very close. There's a few things that I really, really like adamantly want my way. And that's like one, one out of 10 times, two out of 10 times. Those are the things I make sure I get. And the reason why I always get those is because I give in eight or nine out of 10 times. So I can get that one or two times. So that's right. really, really important. You got to know how to give in and let somebody do what they, now it might not be the right thing, right? Your thing might be better those eight times, but it's not that big of a deal. If they fuck it up, it's not going to be that big of a fuck up. The one or two, those are the ones that are really going to fuck it up. You got to make sure those are your way. And the way to get that every single time is to give in on the ones that aren't as important. And I do that with, with every aspect of my life. Gotcha. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, I just hear different philosophies on it. So it's like interesting because I, I know right now what's holding me back in my business is nobody's nobody's I'm, I'm a visionary. I'm very fully visionary. I can operate, but I don't like doing it. You don't like it. Yeah. It like slows me down. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so for the lending, do you just do it by yourself just cause it's so it's easy, right? You just give out your money and then it's receive easy. It. And, um, I use my own money and, uh, I do it myself because I'm wiring like significant amount of money every day to people. And you know, that's something that if somebody fucks up, it could be, it could be bad, but I mean, I, I could find someone to do it. It's just, um, it just doesn't take enough of my time and I have that extra time. So I just do it because it's easy. I do it right on my computer. So it's not like, you know, it's not like I have to go out and do stuff. It's really easy. Gotcha. And right now I spend, I spend a lot of my time making uh, content. So, you know, Pace has been bugging me for over a year to start a YouTube channel and uh, start doing a lot more content. So like 10 months ago, I started a YouTube channel. It's just my name, Abraham Gray. And um, I've been putting out two videos a week ever since I started 10 months ago. And I've grown that to like from zero to like, I have like 15 or 16,000 subscribers now. And, um, nice. and, you know, my goal is to get, you know, to as high as I can. So I, I spend a lot of time on that. That's kind of fun. I, I make videos on how to do better in business, how to do better in real estate, how to do better in life, building rapport, you know, things I did wrong thing. You know, I, I do a lot of funny, a lot of funny videos too. So most of, most of the stuff I do is funny to some degree. I try to, I try to add comedy to everything. I love it. Um, so what, what are your like goals, man? Like, where are you trying to go? I mean, you've already hit like crazy numbers already. I mean, 10 million, like 20 years ago, like, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to do? There's not, there's not like a money amount because the money is like not that big of a deal now, but my goal is to always better myself to, to some degree. Cause if you're not bettering yourself a little bit, you kind of feel like your self-esteem goes to shit. Cause like you gotta feel like you're progressing or doing something. So I'm always trying to do stuff. That's why I don't just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to stay home all day or go on the beach all day because then you just feel like a loser. So I always want to feel like I'm progressing some, I, you know, people are always at my office. I have people I'm helping all the time. So it's fun, like helping all these people. That's one of the reasons why I do these events. And I could see like, you know, lots of people, at these events that make millions of dollars after they leave um, by just implementing some of the stuff that, that I show them. So that's, that's pretty cool. But ultimately 
the most important thing is to have fun, enjoy life and, and, and be healthy. That, that's really what matters. So um, I do what I do because it's so fun and I enjoy it. I mean, I love, um, you know, doing, uh, buying businesses and uh, negotiating with people and, you know, getting, you know, getting the deal done and buying properties and seeing them go from a shit property to a nice property, seeing someone buy it, living in there and having a nice place. It's just fun. You know, um, talking with people is fun. That's why I, I get on, you know, different podcasts and I speak at different events. It's, it's fun. You know, you, you meet new people and that opens up more opportunities for you in the future. Like every single time I'm on a podcast, every time I speak at an event, I do deals with people, you know, people will reach out to me. I'll reach out to other people and, um, you know, you get to see the progression of other people and, it, and it's really cool, but ultimately, yeah, you got to enjoy life. You got to be happy. So, um, that's really what, what, what life's about. And that's what my goals are every day. Just, just progress and, and be happy and feel good. Gotcha. So then what, um, so let's talk about what you're famous for buying businesses, right? I feel like that's the most, the thing you're most famous for in the sub two community, especially. Yeah. Uh -huh. So like, Proof of funds. I'm a proof of funds guy. Well, yeah, that too. I mean, <laughs> obviously proof of funds too, but what about, how do you find, how did you like learn about buying businesses and how do you, how did you buy your first business versus when you started? Yeah. So it was, it was, um, I learned just by doing it. I didn't really have anyone teach me. So I started my first business with baseball cards and I did that for a while. I, I saved and made a lot of money. So now I had some money to do other stuff. So, um, from, from baseball cards, when I was in the baseball card business, there were a lot of other dealers and other other people that had like their business and I would just buy them out. So I started buying other people's businesses, buying their collections, buying their booths, buying their stores. And, um, you know, I got good at it. So um, that's that's where it started me buying other people's stuff. But then when I got into Beanie Babies, which is right from baseball cards to Beanie Babies, um, I eventually started a website and started selling Beanie Babies online because there was so much money. I was already doing it on eBay. I was already doing these shows. So I started um, a website and started buying, starting selling on a website. And then what happened was I became one of the top five Beanie Baby websites, you know, pretty fast that existed. And um, I was like, you know what? The easiest way to grow, because I was spending a lot of money in advertising, the easiest way to grow is just buy another, another really good Beanie Baby website. And that, that's what I went after. I, I became really friendly with all the people that had the, the top five Beanie Baby websites. And um Eventually, I worked a deal with one of them to buy their website. And uh, at this time, I was probably like the number three or number two Beanie Baby website. And this guy was the opposite, like number two or three. And um, we worked a deal. I was able to buy this guy's this guy's website for like 600 grand. And that was the biggest purchase I made up to that time. I was in, um, I, I was, you know, in my early to mid 20s. And I bought this, this, this business from this guy for 600 grand. And uh, I was like, look, I don't want to spend 600 grand all up front. So I bought it creatively. I was like, look, can I give you a hundred thousand dollars up front and uh, you know, the rest over five years or whatever it was. And you know, that's not exactly the conversation, but we went back and forth and we agreed on basically something like that. So um, I, I bought his business and I was making like double or triple profit um, from what, you know, from his business that I was paying him every month. So maybe I was paying him, I'm making these numbers up, but maybe I was paying him like 4,000 a month and uh, I was making like 10,000 a month. So I had a $6,000 profit every single month after I paid him. And um, and I was like, holy shit, after I, I did this deal, um, I was like, man, I need to start buying other people's businesses because it's so, it's so hard to start a business and to get it going and make so much money. 
Um, you can just buy these people's businesses and have it already make money because I was able to look at his numbers. I knew what he was doing and I knew everything about this business. And he, anything I didn't know, he, he taught me. And uh, I went from buying his like a year later to buying the number one BDB website. So I owned the number one, two and three BDB website. And I was just making just crazy money because I kept them all separate. Like, so people didn't know I owned all three. So people would shop and whatever, and I would change the prices on whatever, but I was getting like almost all the business and the retail business. And then, um, yeah, basically from then on, any business I got into, my favorite thing to buy are competitors. So um, I call them bolt-ons. You know, once you own a business and you could buy a competitor or, or someone that's in the same type of industry, um, you could like infinitely grow your business or infinitely make so much more money because you already know the business and you're just, you know, able to like sell. Like what I was able to do, there was stuff that my website sold that, that his website didn't sell and vice versa. So I was able to now to add the stuff that I saw on my website to his website, which made him sell so much more and vice versa. And I was able to buy stuff cheaper because I was able to buy it in bigger quantities. Um, I was able to now share employees. So all the employees he had, I didn't need because my employees were already there in place and they were just able to run both. So I was able to save lots of money. I didn't have to pay rent on two warehouses. I moved everything to one warehouse. So I saved money on so many different things and I boosted up my sales so much. So it's just exponentially, you make so much more money when you're, when you were doing that. And I realized that. So ever since then, I've just been buying whatever business I'm in. I just buy out competitors and you just make so much more money that way. And that, that's kind of how I did it. I just learned on my own. And then eventually, you know, you know, I'd look at YouTube videos, but there's no one that teaches this shit. Like there's always people that teach real estate. There's really no one that teaches business. And, and that, that's why I started doing these business masterminds because no one teaches it. There's very few people that teach it. So, so how does somebody buy their first business? How does like, let's say you got like, what would you need? How much money do you feel like you would need to buy a business? I, te I teach people how to do it for need? nothing. I teach people how to do it for nothing. Okay. But, but so, I mean, that's not hundred percent realistic all the time, but, but there are ways to do it. But I, I would say worst case scenario, you, um, put up 10% of the money and buy the business, right? So uh, most of the businesses I teach you how to buy, I, I teach you all kinds of like dozens of different creative ways to do it. Um, obviously there's always a big owner finance component, but then there's other types of finance components. But the biggest thing that if you just wanna buy a good business and put up 10% of the money um, or less, an SBA program right now will loan you 90% on, on any business. You have to have a 680 credit score um, but if you have a 680 credit score and at least um, you really only need to have 5% down, but 10% down is what, you know, is probably what you really should have. So if you buy a million dollar business, you might need 50 to a hundred thousand bucks. And you can probably borrow that money from friends or borrow that money, you know, from investors and right. know, part of the company away or something like that. Or you could, you know, uh, sell a piece of property and get the down payment or whatever. But um, I, I actually made a whole bunch of YouTube videos on different prop on different businesses I bought that make you know um, you know six figures plus every single year that I bought with no money, zero dollars, and I'm making a hundred, two hundred thousand a year on these businesses, and I use none, no money to buy them. And I, I break down how I do it in some of my videos, but there's so many different techniques, there's so many different ways to do it. Gotcha, awesome. So, I mean, what? let's start with the first one. Like, let's say there's me, I've got a hundred thousand dollars. How do I find a business? Where do I go? What do I do? Yeah. So that's a long conversation. We're not going to, we're not going to have time for the whole thing, but what I could, I could tell you Quick is so just like real estate. There's two ways. There's two ways to buy businesses. You can buy them off market and on market and on market. There's different websites. Probably the most popular one is called bizbysell.com. And you go on there and you look for businesses. 90, 
five percent of the business on there are shit. They're, they don't really have the right numbers. But you, you know, you start talking to the to the owners. You start talking to the brokers that are listing them, and um, you get the you get the P and Ls. You look through it. You see if they make sense. You have questions on the stuff that looks shady, and um, you just figure out a, a fair price. So I, I'll teach you how to underwrite it to tell you if it's a good deal. But what I'll say is most businesses like that we're buying businesses that are you know making the type of money we're talking like six figures sell for somewhere between two and four times what they make in a year so if a business profits two hundred thousand dollars a year in profit they sell for an average three times what they sell for so a, a business making two hundred thousand is going to sell for like six hundred thousand bucks and gotcha. now you gotta figure out how you're gonna come up with six hundred thousand and then there's that's you know all in the creative structuring part but um that's how you value a business and then um you got to go through the P&Ls. You got to make sure you understand everything. Make sure that like all the numbers look correct, how to tell red flags, how to negotiate based on that. Um, you got to, one really important thing that I only buy businesses that have like managers and, and staff in place. Like the owner runs the business and they're selling it. And when they sell it, they're going to be gone. Done. And there's no manager. And to me, that business is almost worthless. Um, unless, unless it's like a bolt on where you're just adding it to an existing business you already have. But if it's like a new business you've never run before, it becomes a lot less valuable. So I also teach you when you want to sell your business, how to make your business worth so much more. There's lots of, there's a few things you can do to make your business worth so much more to sell it. Um, so, you know, we go through all that I as well. That. And then how to hire people, you know, what's important to have at different stages, you know, all, all that's, all that's covered. And uh, I gotcha. I love it. So off, I don't off market, so off market properties, right? So we just talked about on market, off market, 80% of the 80% of the businesses I buy are off market. So you could buy off market pro property um, businesses a lot of different ways. You know, I my my best way that I get the most is letters, but I have like really really unique letters. My letters, um, I came up with a system. It doesn't even exist. Um, they actually look like, I mean, they I, I do like a hundred things to letters that nobody does. So almost every letter I send out gets um, gets open. But I have like. If I'm trying to buy a plumbing company, my letter will look like a, a, a look like a toilet Blender. or some toilet paper. If I'm trying to buy an electric company, they'll look like a battery or electric socket. Right. If I'm trying to buy, um, I bought a lot of gyms, right? I have a lot of gyms. They look like a barbell or something that's in a gym. So like they're shaped that way. When you open it, you know, it's shaped that way. So everyone's going to open it because it looks super curious. And then, you know, I, I, I spray in with different things. Like if I want it to smell like, you know, a, a certain business, I'll spray like, you know, roses on it or Lysol or whatever I want to smell, food or um, there's all different types of scents that you can buy, hundreds of scents and you can make your letters smell however you want. Um, I do crazy things on the outside. I put different types of stickers. Um, I, 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 I sometimes I do a wax seal on the back instead of licking it or I'll put like different types of seals on them. I'll, uh, <laughs> instead of mailing them with like a boring stamp, I'll put like five different stamps or a really cool stamp that no one's ever seen before. And it just catches, you just got to catch people's thing. But like I said, there's about a hundred different, there's probably like a three, four dozen different things I do that nobody does. Um, there's different things you can do with the letters, different shapes and sizes and thicknesses and gotcha. different things you can put in the letter, different things that you write on the letter. So uh, different, you know, confidential, um, you know, save this in a safe place. You know, all these different things you can do that that make people call you and say, but letters is one thing. Um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is really good for business. Um, there's uh, all different types of Facebook groups out there. There's... Um, Cool. And, you know, uh, yeah, we could go on, but attorneys and I got you. Yeah, no, you definitely people will hit you up for that type of stuff, right? Like, I want to be promoting your stuff at the very end of this. I know I just don't want to 
go over time because I don't know if you have other stuff to do after this. So I want to respect your time. There's one question I always ask at the very end of this podcast, always, that I always love, that I think is my favorite question, is if you could go back to either 15-year-old you or like when you bought your first real estate deal or whatever it is, knowing everything you know now, what would you tell? I like the 15-year-old one. What would you tell the 15-year-old version of you knowing everything that you know now? So this is going to be a crazy answer. Um, so, and I got this, I, I started answering it this way since I watched Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox. So, okay. um, you know, my, my life is so good and like everything goes smooth and um, I, I made a lot of mistakes. I lost a lot. I did all kinds of stuff. But every single thing that I've ever done that went bad, I lost a lot of money or, or, or I got in trouble or whatever it was. If, if that stuff didn't happen to me, I might have made bigger mistakes or gotten bigger trouble later on because I learned from all those mistakes that I made younger and I made less and less of those stupid mistakes. So since I watched Back to the Future and Michael J. Fox went back and like started like pushing his dad out of the way or different people out of the way to save him, what happened was it solved those problems, but then there were a lot bigger problems that happened later on because they fixed that problem and now there was other problems and stuff got really worse. I don't know if you ever watched that movie, but so since I watched it, I'm like, you know what? I actually, at this point, I wouldn't change anything because anything I changed that would have helped me might have actually hurt me because I would have made bigger mistakes than those smaller mistakes in the beginning. So that's kind of like the honest truth. But like, um, you know, I could get more deeper into that or I could tell you something specific I would change. But in theory, I probably wouldn't because I wouldn't have learned my lesson from that mistake. No, I love it. I think that's the best answer. Some people give that answer. And I think that's the best one is nothing because you're here now. I mean, right? Like whatever you are, wherever you are now, you're here and life's pretty damn good. So like, yeah. why? Who knows what would have happened if you changed anything, right? No. So my man, I appreciate you so much for coming on this podcast. That was super enlightening about businesses, about partnerships, all of that. So what can my community do for you? Like the regular viewers of sports appears like what do you want say, to, uh, yeah i was gonna say don't be fearful just reach out <laughs> well, uh, for sure but like what are you looking for like what do you want do you it sounds yeah. like you want more deals is there anywhere you want deal. deals is there like something else someone can give you like what are you looking for right now i'm always looking for more deals i actually went to like an event like a year ago and i was talking to pace and pace is like all right, I'm gonna go around the room, ask everybody what they want, what they need, what they want, what they need. And like when it came to me, I was like, dude, the only thing I want, I want more deals, I want more deals. And then we started doing a lot more deals together because of that. But yeah, I mean, more deals. Um, I, I mean, that's really what like area for the deals. Yeah, I mean, I don't care what the deal is. I don't care if you need like transactional funding. You have properties to sell. Um, you you want to buy stuff. I mean, I sell stuff. I buy stuff. I um, it's just fun. But yeah. Um, any, any, that's so just send it anywhere, anywhere in the, in the U S just as long as the ARV percentages. Make yeah. So sense, I like only buy cash. cash deals. I buy cash deals only in the Atlanta markets, so like an hour of okay. Atlanta, I buy cash. but creative deals, every single, everywhere. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. My man. Well, I appreciate well, the other thing I want from everybody is I want everybody to, to, uh, follow me on, uh, definitely YouTube, subscribe, watch some of my videos. Uh, cause that's what I'm trying it's to do. Just your name. Work. So my, yeah, it's just my name, Abraham Gray. That's my biggest thing that um, I'm trying to do. And uh, I, I want to see if I, uh, I was talking to Pace and Pace is like growing at exp exponential. Uh, I, I told Pace my goal is to get to where I'm, I could, I could stay at like 10% of what he's at. So whatever number he's at, I want to get to 10%. If I can get to 10% and stay at 10%, 
That would be amazing. He's like, oh, you're going to get way past 10%. I'm like, dude, you're growing fucking fat no matter how much you grow. You've got like a pretty unique sales pitch, though. Yeah. You're right. I don't know anyone who's talking about buying businesses on no. YouTube. I think you've got like a niche where you could explode even more than Pace because Pace's thing is creative financing with real estate, which is really niche niche. While like buying businesses, I feel like there's like a huge, I think there's a bigger market for it, to be honest. Nobody um, knows about it, though. It's, 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 people don't know about it, so it's not... The, the, it's a smaller niche because nobody knows about it. So What's, is your Instagram your name too? I think it is, right? It's, it's Abraham Gray official. Cool. All right. I'm just I'm just making sure. Guys, follow him. Like yourself. Follow him on Instagram. Follow him on YouTube. If you've got deals, send it to him on his Instagram. People can send you deals on Instagram. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a Facebook person, but email. Okay, or message him on I, Facebook. E email is where I want all the deals sent. So my email. What's your email? It's Abraham, like my name. And then at... And then it's MMA, like mixed martial arts, and ATL, like Atlanta.com. So Abraham at MMA, ATL.com. I have a bunch of gyms. I used to I fight it. a little bit amateur, so that's why I have MMA, ATL. Nice. I do I do jujitsu. I'm a white belt, so I'm not great. But oh, I'll I, fucking smash you. I've been doing jujitsu for over 11 years. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, <laughs> like that? MMA, ATL? Yeah. Awesome. Cool, my man. I appreciate you. This has been super fun. I learned a lot. Is there any any last words for the audience? Anything like that? No. Everyone should get into jiu-jitsu. How do you like jiu-jitsu? I love it so much. I mean, I've done boxing and like yeah. I've done other martial arts throughout my entire life. But jiu-jitsu, what I love about jiu-jitsu is I can go all out and it's not like, you can't go all out in boxing ever, yeah. really. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. like you're like hurting people. You can't do right, it. Jiu-jitsu, right. you can like actually like go hard, as hard as you can. And uh -huh. then like you're like, there's always, there's always people better than you. No how hard you go against them, it's nothing doesn't matter. Right. So, I, I, the first time I went against a black belt, I was like, wow. I went against a black a black belt who was, a, I think she was like a 120 pound girl. And I'm like, wow, I can't yeah. believe how bad I am. Crazy. Like, yes. Holy like Jesus. So if you keep doing jujitsu, man, you're going to have the best friends. You're going to like be They're like always cool. like healthy, feel good about yourself. Like, you know, sweat. So like, yeah, it's, it's the best environment. It's, it's great to be. I love it. It's cool time. Don't be fearful to start jujitsu. It's worth doing. Don't be fearful of anything, guys. That's why we're here. It's Scorch the Fears. Abraham, my man, any last words for the audience before I end this out? Yeah, uh, I just want to say anyone that's got to the end of this and watched the whole thing, holy shit, you guys rock. Like, it's uh, that was pretty long. So uh, hope you learned something. Hope you enjoyed it. And I can't wait to work with you guys, do some deals with you in the future. 100% man. I appreciate you. I'm going to be sending you some deals like that. I'm, I might want to, I might want to partner up with you on some stuff too. So awesome. we're going to 100% make it happen. Guys, that's Scorch Their Fears. Next week, we've got Marco Rivera talking about social media. I appreciate all of you guys so much. Abraham, thank you again. Let's freaking go. Yeah.